Hi, this is Richard Swart with Information Security and Media Group, publishers of BankInfoSecurity.com and CUInfoSecurity.com. Today we'll be speaking with Thomas J. Smettinghoff, a partner in the Privacy, Data Security, and Information Law Practice at the law firm of Wildman Herald in Chicago. His practice focuses on the emerging legal issues of e-business and the corporate use and management of information, with an emphasis on electronic transactions, information security, and privacy issues. Mr. Smettinghoff has been actively involved in developing e-business and information legal policy, both in the U.S. and globally. Well, Tom, thank you for agreeing to be interviewed with us today. Thank you. Uh, let's start with this question. You recently wrote that the patchwork of federal and state laws and regulations regarding corporate obligations to provide information security appear to be coming together to provide ever-expanding coverage of corporate activity. Could you tell us more about these recent developments? Sure. But basically, if, if you survey the legal landscape and you look at the state laws, the federal laws, and even the international laws, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of different laws that focus on various information security obligations. But when you stand back and look at those from a distance, there are basically three trends that emerge from those laws. The first is we're seeing, I think, uh, a general duty, the imposition of a general duty on companies to provide security to protect their own data. And, and I think it's important to recognize that this obligation goes beyond personal data and looks at corporate financial data, corporate tax data, corporate transaction data, corporate trade secrets, and so forth. The second major trend is um, basically the definition uh, of, of, a, of the legal standard that is um, developing with respect to information security. Uh, when people ask the question, well, exactly what do I have to do, the law is starting to provide the answer to that question. And then the third basic trend is um, basically the imposition on companies of a duty to warn, a duty to warn individuals or others uh, who may be adversely affected by a security breach. So it's, a, it's basically a breach disclosure obligation. Uh, and I think it's important to recognize um, that while we're all very familiar with some of the more popular security statutes and regulations like the Gramm-Leach-Bliley regulations and the HIPAA regulations, uh, there are many, many other laws and regulations, some of which don't even use the word security, but that nonetheless impose security obligations. And so as you look at this legal landscape, you need to consider all of that and, and sort of look at the big picture to get a sense of what's happening here. I was wondering if you could tell us what a couple of those regulations or laws might be that our listeners might not be familiar with. Well, sure. If you look at it by different types of data, we've got a variety of laws dealing with personal data, like Gramm-Leach-Bliley, HIPAA, um, COPPA, dealing with children's privacy. Uh, you've got Federal Trade Commission activities dealing with uh, personal information and so forth. With respect to financial information, you have the Sarbanes-Oxley uh, legislation. You've got IRS regulations. Uh, is, is just two examples dealing with obligations to protect financial information. Uh, you've got other laws dealing with um, protecting trade secret information, for example, uh, funds transfer information, uh, social security number records or information, uh, and a variety of other statutes that are out there at the federal and um, state level. Another good example is statutes dealing with electronic transactions, the federal e-sign statute 
and the state level Uniform Electronic Transactions Act, which both deal uh, with security issues relating to electronic transactions. Uh, you've got insurance industry specific statutes. You've got um, uh, statutes in the um, food and drug area. You've got statutes in obviously the financial and the healthcare sectors. Uh, so you've got sector-specific laws. You've got more general statutes. Uh, another good example is that states are enacting general laws, imposing obligations on, with, re, with regard to security on companies that um, uh, basically collect personal information, whether through websites or other means. Uh, so you've got a variety of different laws uh, all coming at the question of security with respect to different types of data. I know one of the concerns that a lot of banks and financial institutions have right now is the um, representations they're making to their customers about the adequacy of their information security. Are there specific obligations that banks and credit unions or financial institutions have regarding these representations? Well, basically, whenever you make a representation about your data practices, uh, you are um, imposing an obligation on yourself. I mean, essentially an obligation to comply with that representation. If you are making statements that are not true, uh, that becomes an unfair or deceptive trade practice uh, and can land uh, a company in trouble. Uh, we've seen quite a bit of action uh, over the last few years by the Federal Trade Commission and by the state attorneys general uh, going after companies who in one form or another have made representations about their data security practices that uh, the government agencies felt they did not live up to. Um, so, you know, the bottom line is you're defining an obligation for yourself when you make a representation. Uh, so as the, you know, as the saying goes, uh, only say what you do and do what you say. Good advice. You've also recently written that the courts are beginning to develop a legal definition of reasonable information security. What is this definition and what implication does it have for the banking and finance industry? Basically, when you look at the laws dealing with security, they generally require reasonable security or adequate security or something, some, some phrase along those lines. Uh, and frequently, they don't tell you much more in terms of what it is you have to do. So as a result, companies are often asking the very fundamental question, if I have a legal obligation to do something, what is it I have to do? And again, if we step back from all these laws, all the regulations, we look at the enforcement actions and court decisions that are out there. What emerges is a legal definition of um, reasonable security. Now, the good news is a definition is emerging. The bad news is it doesn't tell you specifically what to do. For example, it doesn't say you have to install a firewall or you have to encrypt uh, data or you have to use virus software or you have to use you know eight-digit passwords or two-factor authentication or some of those uh, more detailed uh, types of requirements. What it tells you you have to do is basically go through a process and, and really the key here is the process and, and, and that process is geared toward determining what is reasonable for a company in its particular situation. So, for example, uh, you know, if you outline that process, it starts with a very basic analysis of what information does a company have? Uh, where is it? Who controls it? Um, 
how is it stored, what laws are subject, what laws is it subject to, and, and so forth. From there, the process requires that you engage in a risk assessment. You know, what are the threats uh, to that information? What are the vulnerabilities in the company's uh, operations? And if something bad happens, you know, how likely is it that something bad will happen? And, um, you know, what, what are the damages that could result? Based on that risk assessment, companies have to um, design and implement a system of security controls that are designed to respond to that risk assessment. So to take a very simple example, you know, putting guards uh, at the front door of your building might be a good security measure, but if the threat that you face is somebody accessing your data through the Internet, well, those armed guards aren't going to do you much good. Uh, on the other hand, um, implementing firewalls and intrusion detection software and access controls are important for keeping out the bad guys who might access your data through the Internet. But if the threat you really face is dishonest employees, well, then those controls, while they're important for, um, you know, keeping out the bad guys through the Internet, aren't going to address the threat you face from dishonest employees. So you have to really tie the individual security measures to the threats that you face. From there, you need to obviously implement those controls, uh, monitor them, make sure they actually work, they do what they're intended to do and achieve the intended result. And then you also need to uh, continually reassess. Uh, have the threats changed? Have the te has the technology changed? Has your business changed in ways that will affect the security of your data? If it has, then you need to go back and repeat the process. And then there's finally one other very important element to the legal standard for security, and that is you have to address the third-party situation. The outsource uh, providers who process your data uh, remotely at another location, uh, you need to ensure that they provide appropriate security. It's sort of a, you know, the, the basic rule here is you can outsource the work, but you can't outsource the responsibility for the security of your own data. So that's sort of a general, very quick overview in terms of what that legal process requires. Now, once, or well, let me restate that, um, in terms of the implications of that for banks and financial institutions and really for any company, I think the first and most important point to remember is that you're never done. This is a process that must be continual, uh, must be uh, an ongoing thing that you continually re-examine and reevaluate and test and monitor uh, so that you can make sure that you're always as up-to-date as is reasonable under the circumstances given the particular nature of your business. It also means, quite simply, that there are no hard and fast answers to specific questions such as, you know, do I need to apply a particular type of security measure? Do I need to encrypt my data? Uh, is it okay to allow Wi-Fi access? Uh, can I let my employees take laptops home? Those kinds of questions are not going to be answered um, directly. They're only going to be answered in the context of going through that process and determining what's appropriate for a particular business in its individual circumstances. Now, is this risk assessment process a developing best practice, or is it something that's actually required under GLBA or the FFIAC guidelines? 
actually it is required under GLBA and it is required under the FFIEC guidelines as well. And, and I think it's important, in fact, I think in terms of defining the legal standard, what I think is the very best definition of the current legal standard is what appears in the GLB uh, security regulations. And those regulations aren't that long. They're only, I want to say, four or five pages. And I think it's very well worth reading those regulations because I think they're, they're just an excellent statement of that legal standard uh, for information security. Uh, the FFIEC guidelines also make, uh, or how can I say this? The FFIEC guidelines also um, emphasize the importance of a risk assessment. In fact, there's a very interesting section of the FFIEC guidelines that points this out. Uh, as you may be aware, those guidelines basically state that the FFIEC has taken the view that single-factor authentication for online banking activities is no longer an appropriate method of authentication. Uh, and many have interpreted those guidelines as requiring two-factor authentication. They don't literally say that, but in any event, um, they've generated a lot of controversy and a lot of questions. And so as a result, the FFIEC put out an FAQ on how to interpret that guidance. One of the questions they responded to came from someone who basically said, uh, how about if we just go ahead and implement two-factor authentication and skip the risk assessment process? Would that be okay? And the FFIEC was very clear in its response. It said no. It said you have to do a risk assessment. And the, and the type and the level of authentication that you use has to be responsive to that risk assessment. So they were very clearly stating that it's not just implementing two-factor authentication that's going to solve the issue here. It's a requirement that you do a risk assessment and that what you implement is responsive to that risk assessment. Very interesting. It almost sounds like the law is evolving to what the consultants have been saying all along, that security truly is a process and not a product, and that one solution isn't going to solve all of our problems. I, I think that's absolutely correct. There, there, right. there, is no, there is no single solution here. All right. Well, thank you for your time today, Tom. We appreciate you, and uh, excellent information for our listeners. Thank you. Well, thank you for listening to another podcast with Information Security Media Group. To listen to a selection of other podcasts or find other educational content regarding information security for the banking and finance community, you can visit www.bankinfosecurity.com or www.cuinfosecurity.com.